bad puns are key. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Greetings. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to the podcast that now features stickers, the Rasafari Podcast. That's right, y'all. It's official. My good friend Lara from LE Artisan Studio wanted to do something nice to show her appreciation for all the work I do on the show, so she designed not one, but two awesome stickers for me. They came in towards the end of last week, so you can officially buy them. How, you ask? Well, for now, if you hop on my Instagram or Facebook, at Raw Safari, you'll be able to find a post with all those details. Soon, I hope to be able to sell the stickers on my website, but for now, Insta and Facebook, coupled with Venmo, will get you your very own Raw Safari sticker. One's a really cool logo design, and one has a bunch of animals that you have heard a ton about on this podcast, including Lady Ross's Turaco and uh, Red Panda, Binturong, Tree Kangaroo, Sea Turtle, Tarantula, Golden Frog, you know, all those good things. It's a, it's a really, really cool couple of designs, and, and I'm really grateful to Lara. So, Lara, thank you so much for doing that. And uh, y'all, make sure you check her out at LE Artisan Studio on Instagram. Um, the stickers are actually selling pretty quickly right now, so definitely reach out soon and let me know if you want one. I'll be doing a reorder when I need to, but you know you want the special first batch edition stickers. And speaking of things that stick, you're absolutely going to want to stick with me through the rest of this intro because I've got a really great interview for you today. Emily Smicker is the marketing and event coordinator at the Erie Zoo. In layman's terms, she is the zoo's PR person. And this episode definitely touches on what Emily's job is like taking care of PR for the zoo. But uh, don't you worry, this is an episode chock full of animal stories, including a rhino that may actually be a puppy, red panda kindergarten, and of course, the Rasafari poop story. Poop story. Actually, you even get a bonus poop story. Poop story. In this one. And also, it's worth mentioning that my voice gets really high when we are talking about the baby red pandas. I am just not good at hiding my passion, y'all. And frankly, neither is Emily, which is a good thing because you're going to hear all about how a love for animals brought her to this unique role at the Erie Zoo. So head on over to the social media sites I mentioned to order your sticker, then sit back and relax as I bring you my interview with Emily Snicker of the Erie Zoo. All right. So tell me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. Sure. My name is Emily Smicker. I'm the marketing and event coordinator here at the Erie Zoo in Erie, Pennsylvania. Very cool. Um, What exactly do you do in that position? Oh, my gosh. I do a little bit of everything. We're a zoo on the smaller side. So um, I balance most parts of the marketing, including um, occasional... um, 
news interviews, but I also share that with our director. Um, I do all the social media. I do um, all of the print advertising. I deal with donor relations, sponsor relations. I plan and execute all events here at the zoo um, and do all animal sponsorships and a whole bunch of stuff. We kind of um, wear a bunch of hats around here and help each other out where, where it's needed. That's awesome. That's something that I've come to love at small zoos. It seems like everyone is is doing that. Um, I recently was was uh, looking at Elmwood Park Zoo, uh, my, you know, my local zoo that I just love where I live, and um, they they had put up some pictures of their snow removal, and uh, there was in their their red panda slashes enclosure scraping snow off of his little plate platform so he could be happy and, and get take his nap where he likes to. They're veterinarian. That's not like, surprising. Yep. And I was like, I was like, <laughs> all right. And that is what vet school gets you. And Michelle's awesome. I know her. And of course she was doing that because everyone does what you need to do. But it's wonderful. it was a really funny picture. At I'm sure. Time. I don't doubt it. But it is wonderful. It's a really tight team around here. And that's that's what it is, is teamwork. And I feel like it makes, you know, the job even better. And you learn so much more that way rather right, than right. just sticking to a whole department. I feel that way anyways. That's awesome. I love that. All right. So um, since you're kind of on the more PR marketing side, uh, what got you into the zoo field? Um, it was a happy accident, actually. So um, a little bit of my background is um, I, first of all, when I was a kid, wanted to be a veterinarian because um, I loved animals, but really sucked at science. So that <laughs> didn't work out. Once I hit middle school, I wanted to work in the music industry. So that was my goal for all the way up until a couple of years ago. So um, I went to school. Um, I went to Grove City College, ironically. Don't ask me why. Um, it was a great school. It was just very small, but it was really wonderful in letting me um, kind of plow my own way. I went to school for a communication studies major, psychology minor. Um, and really focused on my extracurricular. So I just did um, radio, event production, concert production, all of that. Um, after that, I, after graduation, I actually did, um, I managed a band for a while. Worked okay. in the music industry. Cool. What band? Um, their name is Falling Hollywood. They're a local band. Okay. Um, so I did a lot of stuff in the local music scene. And we did a little bit of touring. Went to South by Southwest. Nice. Good times. Nice. Um, they're, they're great guys, still some of my best friends to this day. But after that, I kind of worked at um, – I did a secretary position at a company, but really focused on event production. So I was ready to kind of find something new. And a friend of mine who I, would done, who I had done events with, who used to work here when she was younger, told me that this job opening was opening up. And I was like, I've never thought about that, but I adore animals. So – and I love learning and I love nonprofit work. So applied and was really blessed to get this position. And my mom actually said to me after hearing about my first week, she goes, you know, it's kind of ironic. You made a full circle from wanting to work with animals as a kid, never thinking you'd be able to and finding how to work with it in your own way. So I, two years in, I still love it every day. That's really awesome. <laughs> Um, so tell me about your, your time in the music industry though. I, I, I mean, obviously I'm fascinated. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something to relate on there. Yes. And I miss this industry. So, so tell me stories <laughs> so I can like taste the joy again. Sure. Uh, I mean, I loved it and I was, I really enjoyed it. Um, 
But so I, I did concert production in college and then um, out of college too. I put on some music festivals and stuff in Erie with some groups and I toured a bunch with the Falling Hollywood. We, I, I managed everything about them in regards to like, you know, really push their marketing and social media. We went on a couple tours um, and planned every show, did a bunch of booking. It was great. Um, however, at some point I got really tired. <laughs> They're late. It's late nights and I still love live music to this day. I adore it, but I knew that like that lifestyle wasn't one that I could maintain a long time. And the guys also kind of, um, you know, uh, they still do Falling Hollywood, but it's not their career path anymore. So it kind of worked out for all of us. Um, and I'm sure I could get back into it if I wanted to, but I really like the work I'm doing now. It's truly rewarding. So, um, but yeah, it was it was some great times, you know, my early 20s. So all in the music industry, going to different venues every day and um, really good memories. And who doesn't want to be around live music the majority of their week, right? Absolutely. No. Yeah, that's really cool. I love that. And I, I find it kind of amusing because I know that the thing that I struggle with the most um, with this podcast is zoo hours. Really? Oh, come on. It's <laughs> it's 10 o'clock in the morning when I rolled in here today. I don't see 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm a professional musician, okay? <laughs> when I'm on tour, if we have an early morning and I have to get on the bus, I literally wake up, shower, do all this stuff to start my day, crawl onto the bus, and immediately go to sleep. And that's if I'm not on a sleeper bus where I just wake up, you know, at noon at the venue, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, no, like, I'm sure this is a this is like a nice, you know, mid-morning interview for you. And I set four alarms to make sure I didn't miss it. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, I was here at 8 this morning. Yeah, no. I I don't think I've ever seen an 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, (laughs) in my professional life. Hey, there was a big chunk of my life where that was the same for me, too. So I can relate. But, yeah, I don't know. I guess now I kind of like the the daylight hours, if you will. It's just, you know, I had my share of the nighttime. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody's different. So. Um, I, I think it is funny, though, every once in a while, even now during COVID, I mean, I'm still on a, a vampire sleep schedule. And, um, you know, I've gotten to be really good friends with some of the keepers that I've interviewed. And every once in a while, as I'm going to bed, I start getting likes or messages or something from a keeper friend who just woke up and is getting ready to start their day. And I'm ending my night while they're starting their day. And I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah, it would be it would be tough for me to transition to that kind of, of thing, I think. I can definitely understand that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, very cool. Um, I, I love that you were an animal person growing up and that you came full circle. When you were growing up, what uh, what were your favorite animals? What what really led you down that path? Um, well, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. So I lived out in the country and my dad, we the family jokes around that he's the Pied Piper. Like all the animals flock to my dad and he is just a huge animal lover. So we always had animals growing up. I mean Stray cats became our cats. Um, anything that wandered into our yard was suddenly adopted. Um, as well as the neighbor dogs always came down every single day for their biscuit. <laughs> every day. Without, I mean, for years. Still to this day. Um, so I had obviously lots of dogs and cats and really loved um, those relationships with them. My Rottweiler, Samson, rest in peace, is still my best friend. And love him. But um. As a kid, I my favorite animal was always penguins. Like I loved 
penguins. I thought they were the funniest things. I thought they were so cute. I mean, March of the Penguins changed my life. <laughs> um, yeah, they they were hands down my favorite. And also, you know, as a really, really little kid, what what little girl was not a horse girl? You know, loved the horses right, and the right. ponies. Um, but those were my favorites. And actually, penguins were my favorites all the way until I started working at a zoo. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Very cool. Penguins are, uh, are frustrating to me as a uh, photographer. I can imagine. Because, and it, it's not that they're hard to get pictures of, but it's that they're hard to get pictures of anything other than them standing or maybe standing with their beak open. Right. Um, unless they're in the water. There, there are two pictures that you can get of, of penguins. And uh, one of my best friends loves penguins and is always like, when you're at a zoo, send me penguin pictures. So I do. And they're always the same picture. And she's always really excited about it, which makes me really happy. But I could also just send her the same picture at every zoo and be like, okay, this one's Bob at this zoo. And the, yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah, they're not exactly uh, the most photogenic animals, uh, not the most interesting subject. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Now, when they're in the water, they are. But Absolutely. then only if you can get a good picture, which is harder. So it's, Yeah, because they're pretty speedy. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a whole journey with penguins and I. <laughs> But uh, that's very cool. What became your favorite animal once you started working at the zoo? Rhinos. Rhinos. Absolutely. Okay. The, right. Chubby the, unicorns. I love it. Yeah. Um, actually, so we have two rhinos here that came when I first started. Um, Bumper and Bill, they're half brothers. And um, uh, they're white rhinos. Uh, but I still remember... My first week, I had the opportunity to go in with the rhinos and the rhino keeper. I got to shadow keepers and um, met a bunch of animals that day. But I went in with the rhino and I went in with um, – her name is Dar, one of our keepers. She's, she's awesome. She works with them a lot. And she showed me a fun little trick. Uh, so Bumper loves getting his butt scratched like a dog. He just scratches butt. And um, his tail will curl and his, like, leg will go out and he'll kind of shimmy his booty. <laughs> and then, like, sometimes if you hit the right spot, he'll roll over and watch you to brush his belly like a dog. <laughs> so I just thought, like, when I was in there and, you know, you have this preconceived notion. If you've never seen or worked with rhinos before, you have this preconceived notion that they're kind of like dinosaurs or like these prehistoric creatures, Right. And you meet them and they're like a big puppy dog and very affectionate and very intelligent in a lot of ways. Um, so that kind of was the moment when I knew I was in the right place and this was the work I want to do. And I really want to teach people about species like rhinos and teach them these things that they don't know and so that they care enough to um, help save their species. That is awesome. And that is something that makes me really happy because one of the things that I have learned doing this is that um, there are two types of zoo PR people. There are people who it is a job and and I respect that and it is their nine to five and they go in and they walk right past all the exhibits and they don't really look and it's fine. And I don't That's understand crazy. that, but I, I know, but I, I, I've talked to some people like that. And it's totally fine. I'm not mm -hmm. saying this judgmentally at all. Some of them are amazing PR people and that's their job and their calling and passion. Um, but yeah, then they're the ones who are just like, I love animals. Yeah. And, and That's me. I, I feel very lucky to have found two passions that work together. I am so passionate about event planning and the marketing of that and have now found a really deep rooted passion in conservation and to be able to marry those two things is honestly a dream I never thought could happen. So, and 
yeah, I mean, it's not perfect. You have stressful days, of but course. anytime, anytime I need like a break, instead of taking a coffee break, you just go outside and uh, hang out with some spider monkeys and <laughs> so much better. No, absolutely. And that's actually, um, you know, I, I, I know you listen to the pod, so, so you've, you've heard this, I'm sure, but my main thing that I always tell everyone is to follow your passion yes. and then find your niche. And, um, I'm in the same boat where I, I have my passion and it's performance and all of that. And then I found my other passion, which is animals and conservation and especially at zoos. And I, I launched this podcast and it's the same thing, two passions that are going hand in hand. And, um, I'm even looking for more ways to, to expand between the two. Can I help score conservation films? Can I provide music to other conservation podcasts? What, how can, how can, you know, I combine those two passions, whatever. And, um, yeah, it's, it's very cool when you do what you love. It is. I, I hate the saying that uh, when you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Because as you know, we work our tushies off. Very hard. Very hard. <laughs> and there are nights that you just don't sleep. And there yep. are nights that you fall asleep crying. And yep. anytime anything goes wrong, it's the worst feeling in the world. Yeah, It's but- like really devastating. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you care a little too much. Mm-hmm. And then it's like it's like the other thing is when something goes wrong, if you work a normal nine to five, then you can go home and play your drums or work on whatever matters to you or whatever to get past it. Right. But when it's your passion that went wrong, then what, what, what's your outlet? Where do you oh, go? Oh yeah. I mean, know? the whole separation of work and home is a very delicate balance for sure. And an important one, I think when you are passionate about what you do, because you could easily get burnt out oh, very yeah. easily. Um, so I, I'm a huge advocate for like mental health awareness and like, you know, um, making sure that your passion doesn't your work, if your work's your passion, it doesn't overrule your life. Um, so, you know, I may go home and, and had a hard day, but, you know, try to find things that, yeah, I have animal pictures all over my house, but maybe try to invest in something else that brings me joy, like reading or, you Mm -hmm. know, um, maybe still do animals, go for a run with my dog or things like that. Good. Yeah, that's very important. Mental health is, uh, hugely important, um, especially in the animal field. Um, unfortunately, most of them, the, the animals out there don't live as long as we do. And, I know. and yeah, there, there's a lot to it's it. The hardest parts about the job. Oh yeah. No, I get it. I I've said on a previous episode that, um, like even things like the SSP, mm-hmm. um, it's my favorite, least favorite thing Yeah, because I love it. I'm truly passionate about it. I'm truly inspired by the work that goes into it. But then every once in a while, they take away one of my favorite animals from one of my favorite places and it breaks my dang heart. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> a great point. We have... A hard time explaining that to a lot of our visitors. That, oh, sure. That, um, and I'm sure you've covered it many times on the podcast. But yeah, with the species survival plan, animals are moved around all the time. And we miss them. Mm-hmm. Visitors miss them. And visitors have such a hard time. Like, you, you don't own that animal? It's like, no, they they have a greater purpose to serve, you know? And But it's still really hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, totally. Uh, Jen So, the red panda, uh, recently left Columbus for Green Bay. And I've never made it to Green Bay. I've been to Wisconsin, but never to Green Bay. And... It, I love Genso. He is one of my like favorite animals ever. And I used to go and hang out with him whenever I was at Columbus. And sometimes I would be at the exhibit for an hour or two. And now he's gone. So Bye. he's he at the new zoo? Yes. Um, our that's a perfect example. We recently transferred out our giraffe, our only giraffe, Nigel, and he's at the new zoo now doing he's with the SSP breeding and we miss him every day. All of our visitors miss him because right now we don't have giraffes, but we do have 
plans for the future. I'll tell you about that a little later. Cool. I love that. That's awesome. But yeah, no. Okay. So I, I'm saying right now, mm-hmm. you and I, when we're done with this interview, hop in the car, head to Green Bay and get our animals. All right. Back. Let's do it. Let's do let's it. Do it. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I kid, of course, but uh, awesome. All right. So let's talk about, um, let, let's be a little more serious sure. and uh, let, let's talk about um, what you do day in and day out. What does a normal day look like for you as much as you have one? You know, it's interesting. Uh, somebody just asked me this a few days ago. And I had never been asked that question before. And I really don't know how to answer it. I don't have a normal day, I would say. I do have normal mornings. I come in, 8 o'clock, get my coffee, say hi to my coworkers, get the brain juices flowing, check the Facebook, answer the questions and the emails. But after that, it's kind of a free-for-all. I mean, um, I would say um, in a normal non-pandemic world, I spend probably 30 to 40% of my job out with the keepers and animals. So I do a lot of the photography and videography um, as well as the keepers. Since we are so small, they uh, get me a lot of their own photography and videography, but I do a lot of editing. Um, I work on a lot of promotions. I also have to plan our events and all the fundraising that we do. So I can, so this morning, you know, I I got up and I worked on the Facebook posts for the week and then did some really exciting thank you letters for all of our sponsors because we have some incredible sponsors and donors. And then, you know, now I'm doing a podcast today and (laughs) then we're going to walk around the zoo and hang out with the animals. And then later I'm going to pitch a sponsorship opportunity. And so every day is a little different for me. Um, And I kind of like that. It keeps, it's, I'm very creative person, but I also um, like being productive. So, um, it definitely breaks up my day like that. That's really cool. And I'm glad that you get so much animal time. That's really awesome. It's important to me because it's a good reminder of why you do what you do. Cause it's easy to get overwhelmed otherwise. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you mentioned special events. What kind of stuff do you guys do? Oh, we do all kinds of things. Obviously with the pandemic, it's a little different. Sure. Sure. Let's, let's just pretend there's no pretend pandemic. There's no pandemic. Please, yeah. please. Um, so we do everything from, we do an Easter egg hunt every year. Um, so we do like public events that are free to our members and just open to general admission. So like, like the egg hunt and we do equipment day is a big popular one. We bring in all this huge, like, uh, construction equipment and kids get to play all over it and (laughs) sit in there and honk the horns. And it is the loudest day at the zoo, (laughs) but the kids have the best time and it's so worth it. Um, and we also do like a Wild Wednesdays in July where we extend our hours till 8 p.m. So people can come after work if they work nine to fives and they can come hang out and see what the animals do in the evening. Oh, my eyes just got so bad. I know. I think I, you're going to be back in July. I love I love <laughs> nights at the zoos. San Diego does is open till nine in the That's summer. Every wonderful. Night. And it is the most magic. I have goosebumps, literal <laughs> goosebumps, remembering the last time I was there. Um, It's it's a magical experience. It's and different. I, I need to, I, I will be here. Okay, good. I, I, I mean, I always say like, that's one of my favorite opportunities to present to people because my favorite times at the zoo are like late at night or in the evening or really early in the morning. So like there's occasional times we have to come in for like new shots at like 530 and seeing the animals at that time of day is the coolest thing <laughs> like it, it really is and anytime we can kind of give a little piece of that to the community it's it's awesome but um yeah so we do a bunch of that stuff we also do a bunch of fundraiser events being a nonprofit, really uh no state funding so that's really important we do a halloween event called zubu which is trick-or-treating um 
It's one of our most popular events of the year. Um, we also do uh, our Gala Pazuza, which is our huge fundraiser event each year. And one of the most popular adult events is our Lions, Tigers, and Beers. We team up with Erie Beer and do nice. a nice uh, adult trick-or-treating around the zoo. So, yeah, we have every – and then, of course, we have private events, too, that we throw for people and host. Um, we've had weddings here. Yeah, it's there's always something new and exciting and different. And our sponsors are our sponsors are awesome. They're always willing to kind of adapt and go with some crazy ideas and make fun things happen. I like to keep it fresh for the community. That's really cool. And obviously, you you succeed in the uh, the main goal that all zoos have with these events, which is finding a way to make bad puns and get the word zoo into every word that you can. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Bad puns mm-hmm. are key. And oh, any yeah. zoo advertising. No, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I feel strongly that that's why my podcast is being successful because I put in a lot of really crappy puns and I'm really proud of them. One of my and, favorite parts about your podcast. Well, thank you. And I, and I, think that, I think that goes along with the whole zoo community. It does. <laughs> you got to have fun with it. I mean, yeah. our jo- job, you know, is fun. So you have weird names in two of the animals whenever you can work those in. That's even better. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. On my Instagram every Monday, I do a Red Panda post and it's called Red Panda Monday Um. I like love pandemonium, pandemonium, but it has to be Monday. Um, yes. And, oh yeah, it's it's a whole thing. <laughs> we just did a um, a Christmas package, and it was uh the pandemic package. So it was red panda themed. And, oh, I know. I yeah. have. I have. Did I you it. have it? Did you I get was it? the first person. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Because you guys posted it. And it immediately showed up on my feed. I was on Instagram. It showed up immediately. It said, like, posted just now. And I clicked and purchased. You're like, yes. Yeah. That is actually some of our best ideas come from, and she'll probably kill me for even mentioning her, uh, Jen Salandra, our curator. She is incredible, um, but, you know, doesn't do a lot of public speaking or anything. But she always comes with me with the best puns and and uh naming ideas for things and she see there's a perfect example of working together as a team because she she does her she's like whenever i'm cleaning the back that's my creative time you know <laughs> cleaning the tiger holding area come up with panda emic you know so <laughs> she's awesome that's fantastic i love that yeah um and and yeah that was really cool and it was so cool to have that that ornament with the the little paintings our little, their first time in the snow too oh. that was the boys first time in the snow uh our two panda cubs sorry uh first time in the snow pictured there taken by one of our um alley one of our keepers and then yeah they we had the boys do uh red panda paintings and had See, now a lot of them have secret little fuzzy paw prints in there that you kind of make out, but not quite. So, <laughs> Very cool. So um, before we get on to, to more panda stuff, because it's coming, um, I, I'm curious. Uh, one other thing I was really interested in here is that y'all close for part of the year. Yes, we do. And I struggle to understand mm-hmm. why, um, yeah. but I've never had the chance to ask. I, you know, I say sure. that non-judgmentally. But um, so why why is that a thing? Sure. I think that's a fantastic question. It's one that a lot of people have. Um, We have done extensive research as to if we should stay open. So we closed from November um, through March. Um, And basically what that research has shown is that we would lose thousands upon thousands of dollars in revenue. Um, Living in Erie, Pennsylvania, we are in the snow belt. So 
once you go on our grounds, you've been on our grounds, you can kind of see we have some interesting terrain around here. And we have such a small team and doing that snow removal to have maybe one customer come in um, a day, if we're lucky, um, doesn't really, isn't really feasible for us, especially with that nonprofit status, as well as there's a few other benefits to it is during the colder months when a lot of our animals are off exhibit, we don't charge admission because we want people to still come, still learn and enjoy, but we realize that they're not getting the full experience. So during that time, it would be free admission. So that, again, detriment. Um, And finally, one of the biggest reasons that we really set us over the edge to keep it closed is for the benefit of animal care. Um, Being closed during those winter months and not have to worry about guests or catering to them first, the keepers get to spend so much more time with their animals. They get to do a lot more trainings. They get to do studies with some of their animals. They get to um, do more enrichment planning or program planning for the summer coming up. So that is one of our key times to do it, just those few months. And the way we make revenue during that time is we own and operate the Flow Fabrizio Ice Center. So what we do is we then shift our focus over there, and it's an ice rink. So we have teams come in, we have public skate, and offer something, a winter activity for the community um, that's indoors. (sighs) Fine. You sold me. <laughs> I accept it. Because I, I honestly, the thing that I've always wondered about it um, is why you wouldn't stay open, but like understaffed. Like, hey, there's going to be one bathroom. There's going to be no um, concessions, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Because to me, that would make more sense. But when you get into the, the snow removal and all the cost of all that, yes. and then, but man, when you sell it as a, an animal yeah all right fine it is beneficial i accept your answer <laughs> some of the best i will say some of the best content i get is in the winter times being able to hang out with the keepers they have a little bit more time to do a longer training or celebrate more animal birthdays um because during the summer they're doing shows there's um they have certain time limits they have to keep with our hours and stuff that we still do a lot of those things in the of summer course, just not course, as yeah. prolonged you know all right all right. I accept your answer. Yes. <laughs> no, that does actually make a lot of sense. I've just, I've always wondered since keepers have to be yeah. here, uh, it made sense in my brain that, you know, sure. if you did something so that you the, weren't paying as much. Because the but zoo doesn't sleep. That's because, good answers. Yeah. Yeah. That's the solid. All right. Let's get to some more animal stuff. Um, obviously, I want to talk about red pandas. Who doesn't want to talk about red pandas? Yes, right. Now, um, <laughs> I, I did mention uh, in a recent episode, for those that were listening, um, I finally told the story of when I got to hold a true red panda cub. I don't mean one that's on exhibit. I mean a little baby that fit into my hand pretty comfortably, and it was the most insane thing that's ever happened to me. That cub now lives here. And he came here to have a friend and to learn how to be a panda. So tell me all about that. Okay. It's a story. Going to take you on a little ride here. Okay. So um, back in July of last year, 2020, our uh, pandas, Pumari and Delilah, they were recently paired last year, um, had two cubs. It was a baby boy, baby girl. Um. Pumari's first uh, cubs. It was exciting. 
Um, really exciting time for us. But after a few days, our vet staff and animal care staff noticed that the ki- the the cubs, the kids, <laughs> you know, the children, yeah, they were um, um, were failing to gain weight. So they were consulting with the SSP Species Survival uh, Plan Coordinator Sarah Glass over at Knoxville and kind of getting her expertise since we haven't had like they have red pandas all the time. Like that's their thing. Um, we've only had a couple. Uh, you know, cubs here. So they wanted her advice on what to do. And that advice was to pull them and to hand raise them uh, so that they could gain weight. We can monitor it easier without stressing out Delilah and Pumari. Um, so that's what we did. So our baby boy and baby girl panda lived with um, our head veterinarian, Dr. PJ, for the first few months of their life. Then um, in August, sadly, um, baby girl panda passed away um, from complications of some health issues and a heart defect. So that was a really hard time for us. Um, But we reached out to the SSP coordinator, Sarah, and found out that she had a cub that was a singleton who needed placed because research has shown that red panda cubs do much better when they're co-reared. They have a partner. So that began the journey of bringing together um, our two males. And I'm going to interrupt for one second with a fact that I don't know if you know, but I'm sure the general listeners don't know, is that the co-rearing thing is very real. And what has often happened in this country is that when something like this happens and there's one cub left, that zoo then just calls up Sarah and says, hey, you're getting another cub. One time it actually happened that the cubs were in transit and there had been a miscommunication and they were like, oh, by the way, cubs are coming to you. Um, And so uh, in this case, Sarah realized that, um, and she mentions this a little bit in her episode, but uh, that that she can't be the only one doing this. Um, Other people need to know how to. And she really likes the people up at Erie. And, and thought this is a great opportunity yes. to a not have to be the one doing it again, but b to bring another zoo in right. and help that zoo, um, you know, learn how to have panda kindergarten. It was yeah, great, great, uh, great analogy. But um, uh, yeah, it was a really awesome opportunity. I mean, we were already set up for two little ones. We mm-hmm. already planned for two little ones, and she had the singleton, and it just. Yeah, uh, Dr. PJ and her talked a lot and decided that this was the best idea for the Cubs. So um, in September, our little Joe arrived um, to be paired with the Erie Zoo male cub who is now named Neo. Um, So the two were introduced. Um, I was there for that day when their keepers brought him down. Wonderful keepers um, literally drove him here. Um, and introduced the two babies in a room. And, um, <laughs> of course, they were being held, you know, so they could sniff each other a little bit. And it was an interesting process, you know. Um, so at the time, um, so Joe is about three weeks older than um, Erie Zoo Neo. Um, so at the time, uh, Neo was about three months and Joe was about four months. So it doesn't sound like that big of a difference, but when you're looking at baby pandas, it can be pretty significant. Oh, yeah. They grow up fast. They do grow yeah. fast. So we gradually introduced them. The animal care care team did um, because at first, Joe was a little more and more rambunctious than Neo was. Neo was still kind of like the panting baby, you know, like 
just kind of like learning to panda. And then Joe was already ready to kind of like play and get teeth and, you know, do all that stuff. So uh, monitored playtime for the boys and then separated it at night. Um, in, I think this is absolutely adorable. They had their own um, pack and plays. Like, you know, that we use for babies, <laughs> like, you know, little pop-up yeah, yeah, yeah. play pens. They each had their own. Because at that age, they can't climb. So That's the best. Yeah, it was really cute. And then um, we were trying to figure out, so being a small zoo, we don't have a lot of space, uh, especially during the summer, because our exhibits are kind of catered to what we have. So we're like, okay, what can we do to give them something bigger than a playpen when they start getting bigger? So we kind of put our heads together, and I was like, have you guys ever heard of a catio? Do you know what a catio is? I do not. Okay, so they, my mom had been looking at one. It is a, a standalone enclosure that you can put like out on your patio or outside for cats to play in. And it's like really <laughs> tall, you know, it's, it has all these little like hidey holes and all climbing areas. So we're like, the baby pandas are the size of a cat, you know, like, could this work? And it did. Our awesome maintenance men adapted it and... <laughs> So then they had their catio, yes. and it was so cute. They learned to climb in there. It was a softer bottom, you know. We put blankets down. Um, so over time, they started. They were all ha- bottle fed and everything. Um, keepers were able to be brought in and start learning to care for them both, because at that point they were too big for PJ to manage on her own. They're rambunctious little boys. And um, this winter, we introduced them to our sloth exhibit. So our sloth goes in for the winter, obviously. Uh, Joy cannot handle the cold weather, understandably so. But red pandas are built for it. So the red panda uh, cubs went out to her exhibit. Tons of branches and hidey holes and um, cubbies, you know. So they have been out there since this winter. Um, I think it was just before Christmas. And they are still out there right now because it's still cold here in Erie. And they are loving it. They We've watched them learn to climb. We've watched them learn to eat bamboo. They are almost almost completely weaned off their formula but joe just doesn't want to give it up (laughs) um but they do eat their biscuits and real big red panda stuff and they play all the time they play all the time and they're climbing all over that exhibit it's awesome because now they're they're at that equal level of being able to roughhouse with each other and kind of on that equal playing field no more joe kind of like bigger than neo so it's been a really awesome process to watch Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> That's so cool. That is so cool. Um, obviously, Joe, Joe just means so much to me. Uh, having met him as, as such a little cub, um, still in an incubator. And yeah, it's uh, that is just so cool. Um, I have to ask. Sure. Uh, Neo is a great name. Yeah. Nubbin, which is what Joe was called, you know, back, back before he came up here, was a pretty great name. Joe is also a name that exists. Um, I'm going to guess that this was a donor name and I'm not allowed to insult it on the podcast, but I at least have to ask. Yes, it was. <laughs> um, he, he was given that name before he came here. Okay. So he was, uh, it was a donor name, um, named after, uh, a donor's friend, uh, or family member. Um, and he was christened that name and then sh- sent to the Erie Zoo. So. Fair. Yes. Okay. But it's kind of cute. Like, it's kind of funny. I'm one of those people that think it's really funny 
when these cute little animals are named like normal people name. I actually normally do too. I just loved Nubbin so much. And then when he got here and y'all were like, because I didn't see him announce that beforehand. So all of a sudden he's here and his name is Joe. And I'm like, guys. His announcement was made here. (laughs) Right. All right. Well, we all know I could talk about red pandas forever. But instead, let's talk about some other zoo animals. Um, you guys have for for a small zoo, you guys have a great collection. I I personally think so. I'm a little biased. I, um. I'm not, and I will say I um, there are a lot of this this zoo is small, but has big zoo energy. Yes, you know there are um, a lot of a lot of cool species here. Uh, so tell me about some of the the favorites, um, species wise, but also like I want to know some individuals. Tell me, sure. About oh yeah, we have some really interesting characters. Um, so obviously Bumper and Bill are rhinos. White rhinos um, are very popular. I already told you a little bit about their personalities. Um, Bumper is the more rambunctious one, a little bit, a little bit smaller, and um, Bill is kind of he's still really good boy, really good boy, but more serious brother, you know? Um, actually probably some of our most popular collective family of animals here that people will bend over backwards to see is our Borny and orangutan family. Yes. So we have Joe who is the dad. He is 35 years old. Um, we have Dasa who's mom. She's 29. And then we have baby Otis who just turned four. Um, they are incredible i mean primates are just fascinating um but you know orangutans share 97 percent of dna with humans and if you spend long enough with them you can see those similarities but also see the wild side of them (laughs) um so joe is known to be really affectionate with people um in regards to he will come right up to the glass and like sit down he wants to sit right by you last week i recorded a read across america video with him and read the book to him while he sat at the glass you know otis made an appearance too um so he's really sweet um dasa's more reserved if she likes you that is the coolest thing ever you know if you get dasa's approval you're doing good (laughs) she'll like blow you kisses and stuff and otis is of course like your quintessential toddler um the other day one of our keepers <laughs> saw him. Here, here's a here's a, a bonus poop story. Poop story. <laughs> um, he saw him finding, discovering his own little poop and teasing mom with it. And mom's like trying to take it away. And then she, he pretends to throw it at mom. And then mom like holds up a blanket. And Dawson's like, this is disgusting. You can see it. Like, it just was very like human. Like, you're just like, this is exactly what would happen. He also loves to... Um, tease dad he loves to tease dad so he'll take like a piece of straw and try to like stick it in joe's nose and like pull it away (laughs) and run away and um he's now climbing all over the exhibit um so they are really fun to watch um they are when i was here last year i spent a lot of time with them they're awesome um and then one of the things we're most well known for is our big cats um we have lynx canadian lynx we have um amber leopards one of the most endangered species on the planet jaguars uh tigers and our lion exhibit is one of our my favorite exhibits personally you can get we have eva and desta who are uh our sister lioness and you can kind of they love to lay right up against the glass and when you get up there and you see how big like you can literally go right up to them and compare your hand to their paws and it's just incredible how big they are it's it's amazing so those are probably like 
I mean, we have so, I mean, I could talk about every animal here. No, but of course, of course. Those are definitely our biggest draws that people tend to comment on the most, I would say. Which animal would you say has the biggest or most unique personality that you haven't talked about yet? Ooh, um, Darla, the Visayan warding pig. Oh, I love warty pigs. Tell me about she her. She is so funny. I... It, it, it kills me. It, she's just so funny. She is very interactive. Like, she'll run right out the fence and, like, put her little snoot against your hand. But she's very much like – I still remember I had been filming with them and there's one day that I went in there with a bad attitude because I, you know, had something – I messed something up at work or, you know, you know, it was just a bad day. So I went in there with a bad attitude – or bad, bad attitude. <laughs> bad attitude. <laughs> that worditude to- might be the title of this episode now. <laughs> Please. <laughs> but she thought I had a bad worditude because <laughs> suddenly Darla's like, get out of my space, take those bad vibes, bad juju, and get out. She started charging me. I was fine. No, right, no injuries course, were happening. But we've gotten along. Every time I've worked with her in that one moment, she's like, get out. Get out. And she was the boss. You know what? That tiny little pig was the boss. I got out. You know, I was like, I'll come back later when I get my act together. So she's really funny. She's a um, kind of like one of us, a staff favorite too. Um, she's just, I can't explain it. She has a lot of personality. I guess that's kind of most of our pigs because our pig Wilbur also is, he's a potbelly pig and he's the curmudgeon, you know, um, but everyone just loves him. So he's hysterical. But he's the big boss around here. So those are two that I always feel like stand out with. They're, they're very distinctive personalities. That's awesome. And then um, one last animal that I wanted to ask about is, is one of your older pandas is Delilah. Yeah. And Delilah is the daughter of Amaya, who used to live at Elmwood Park Zoo and is a, a personal uh, all-time favorite of mine. And so just what can you tell me about Delilah? What's she like? Delilah is really interesting. Um, she's more reserved. So I haven't had the opportunity to work with her a whole lot as she just got here a little over a year ago. When she first got here, she um, was actually very hesitant. So it took her a while to warm up to people. Um, but now she's a good relationship with her keepers. Um, she is doing really well with training, um, but she's not as willingly like, I don't want to say affectionate because just to be clear, we don't sit um, and hold like our pandas, right, like they're course, wild animals. They got some claws and some teeth and they're going to act the way we do. We don't cuddle them, but we do interact with them, mm-hmm. you know, do trainings, hand feedings, things like that. Their keepers do. Delilah doesn't participate in, in those as much. She's a little, uh, it takes a while to earn her trust, which I also really enjoy about animals is you really get to see that array of personalities. And I think her keepers enjoy it because they know when they earn that trust, that's a really special moment. I have to tell you a story. Please tell me a story. I love stories. When I was here, uh, I I went and I hung out with Delilah. Okay. Um, like, you know, at her exhibit. Like, yeah. You know, not on exhibit. Absolutely. And there's a little mesh area uh-huh. right there. And I was hanging out right at the mesh. And I started talking to Delilah because I'm insane and that's what I do. And I talked to her and I told her about her mother and I told her about, you know, how much I loved her and stuff. That's and so Delilah sweet. was in the back of the exhibit ignoring me. Uh, again. Naturally. As <laughs> um, for about a half hour. Mm-hmm. And then she came right up to me oh and she gosh. went right up to the mesh. And I actually have some pictures like through the mesh, but she was like an inch from me. That is so and special. she hung out with me for like 15 minutes. And then another family came and she bolted. Oh. But we hung out for like 15 minutes. So I was, when I asked actually, um, 
I say this sometimes. My favorite thing is when I ask a question and get the answer I don't expect. Yeah. I thought you were going to say how personable she was and how easy she is to no. just fall in love with everyone. But no, she came right up to me, hung out right in the corner, stuck her little snoot as close as she could get to me. Amazing. Um, and we hung out for a solid 15 minutes that way. And that I, I so just thought it was because she was a people person. And now no. I'm just like, that's that, that you're so you're happy. special. Yeah. No, that is really cool. I mean, we don't hear stories like that about Delilah very often. That's I mean, crazy. And in general, I think you know that red pandas, the more hands-off you are with red pandas, unless they're hand-raised, they really are nervous little oh, creatures. Yeah, yeah. So that is extra exciting to me to hear that. I think that's really cool and definitely share that with their keepers. I think that's they would awesome. love that. Yeah, it was such an emotional moment for me because Amaya meant so much to me. Yeah. And unfortunately, Amaya passed before I started doing things where I got to know people and started meeting pandas and stuff. Aww. And so, you know, yeah. And I've met Samson, her, her brother, who's at Indianapolis, and love we're it. buds. But yeah, Delilah and I had this special connection. But, you know, sometimes you tell yourself when something like that happens, oh, this is just a, a people animal. Nope. So to hear <laughs> you say that's not the case, I'm just, I'm the happiest boy right now. That is awesome. Very Truly cool. awesome. Um, awesome. And so now it is time for me to open the floor to you. Are there any uh, conservation organizations or people or your staff or anything that you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, of course. Um, first of all, huge shout out to the Erie Zoo staff. Um, woo! woo! Um, well, I know it's been a hard year and um, we got a tough team and I am so honored to be a part of this team and they are just some of the most incredible, hardworking, self-sacrificing people I've ever met. So just want to give them credit where credit's due. We work with a lot of conservation organizations, and that's one of the best parts of this job. Actually, right now we're selling online in here a limited edition um, endangered species. Like we do pins with our animals on them. It's a button collection. We call them buttons. It's a button collection for 2021, and all that money raised through those donations are going to go back to um, conservation. Uh, and for endangered species. So like a lot of that will go back to International Rhino Foundation. Um, you know, we work with Painted Dog, um, Conservation Foundation, um, Sand Cob, Lion Recovery Fund. Um, also got to give a shout out to Crew um, at Cincinnati. Uh, we donate to them a lot and they come here and help a lot with SSP. They're pretty amazing. But um, one of the biggest things I want to talk about is our capital campaign if that's all right. Uh, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So we have something really exciting going on at the zoo called Wild Open Spaces Capital Campaign. We are raising $10 million to do um, some exciting things around the zoo. We have already started. Um, so we started with some renovations on our main building. But we are also, we used to be known for our bears here. And unfortunately, we don't have them anymore. One of the parts of that is going to bring back a bear species here. We're looking at sloth bears. Oh, know. sloth bears are so good. So cute. So good. So smart, too. So smart. Um, we are also launching this um, summer. We are going to be building a colobus monkey exhibit. Ooh. Yeah. My boss likes to call them the Lady Gaga of <laughs> monkeys because they're so fancy. Yes. Um, so that's going to be happening. And our biggest part of this that we are still really needing funding for is our giraffe habitat. So like I said earlier, we moved Nigel out. Um, our giraffe area right now is a little, it's still credited, um, approved, but it's just a little small and, and outdated. We've had it for a while and, and we've been wanting to kind of change it around. So we actually bought land across the street. So we are moving our parking lot and our current parking lot across from the main gate is going to be turned into a huge like 
giraffe exhibit savannah so that we can have a family of giraffes and hopefully participate in SSP programs. Um, We're going to obviously move the entrance and everything too, but um, giraffes are something that Erie really loves. I think people in general love giraffes, but um, has always been really special to Erie. And we really want to create not only an exhibit where they can come and see them and do giraffe feedings, but also a way that we can contribute to the species survival. So you can learn about that stuff or contribute to um, eriezoo.org. Just look for the Capital Campaign, Wild Open Spaces. Um, any and all support is really valued and really appreciated. Perfect. And now it is time. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're going to laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari Poop Story. Hit me. Okay. It's a Christmas one. Oh, good. Okay. So it's a short one, but I just want you to immerse yourself in the story and just picture it. So we are doing, we did Elf on the Shelf. And any PR or animal care staff who has ever had to try to stage photos with animals knows how unpredictable that is. (laughs) Well... We had a few poop stories. Poop story. You know, at one point, um, we handcrafted a pile of rhino poop for the elf so he could pretend that he was shoveling it, mucking the stall, you know. But my favorite was we went in with the warthogs. And each of our elf on the shelves had a little story to go along with it. And this one was about the warthog accidentally sitting on him. (laughs) This is like the second photo we've taken with this little brand new elf on the shelf. And the warthog um, rubble, so sweet, such a sweet little boy, comes out to the outdoor area, which is where we are doing the thing, and it's it's all cement. And he is so excited that he just starts peeing everywhere and then running around the thing. And then next thing we know, he's pooping. Every, I mean, there is like turds <laughs> just like bombed all over the place to the point where I'm like, I don't know where to put this elf. Like I, (laughs) (laughs) we had to like maneuver around turds so that we could put the elf down, have him sit on it. But then I was still scared that there might become some, like, I was like, we got to take this photo really fast because I'm afraid he's going to poop right on the brand new elf. (laughs) And he was so, and then you had to like maneuver the, the camera through the, you know, mesh, you know. Oh my gosh. It was so funny though, because like this entire space, which was like, Probably, oh my gosh, like, I don't know, five by by 15 feet or whatever is just covered in like turd bombs all over the place. And I'm like, this is going to be in the elf photos. <laughs> so then after that, I had to take all of those photos before posting them and hand Photoshop out every single turd, <laughs> which... I don't know if you've ever done that, but I now say, like, that is part of my job is I Photoshop out poop on a regular basis. And that is not the first time, and that will not be the last time I have to Photoshop out poop. Close up on your computer, zoomed in, hopefully, hoping nobody walks around your cubicle to be like, what are you doing? So that's my poop story from a PR perspective. Um, nice. I love probably it. Probably a little bit different than most keepers, but... uh 
it was an exciting day. That's for sure. It's a good one. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. You are welcome. Thank you so much for uh, featuring the Eerie Zoo. We really appreciate it. Of course. Let's go walk around and see animals. Yes. Animal time. And y'all, there was much animal time and it was excellent. Got to play with the Canadian lynx a little bit. Got to watch a tiger be all majestic in the snow. And most importantly, I got to go and see Neo and Joe. And I have to tell you, it is crazy how big they are. To have gone from seeing Joe as just a little potato that could just kind of pant and, well, that was about it, actually, to being the full climbing and playing and squeaking and curious panda that he is, man, that was, whew, that was real cool. That one meant a lot to me, y'all. I guess most of this stuff means a lot to me, but I'm telling you, it was a real, real special. So thank you, Emily, for just an incredible day. And um, for those of you who would like to see her work, you can check out the Eerie Zoo at eeriezoo.org. And they are on Facebook and Instagram at Eerie Zoo. They do a lot of really cool social media stuff. Uh, I was pretty excited shortly after I visited. Emily posted a picture that she took when we were hanging out together. And I was like, hey, I recognize that one. Sometimes it is the little things. And speaking of little things, here is your little reminder that the word credits backwards is Stiderk. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.